Hello, and welcome to Twice Exceptional, teens exploring and living with neurodiversity. My name is Kate, and I'm the host of this educational podcast. I'm currently 17 years old, and I have been diagnosed with ADHD since I was 10. Additionally, I was tested for giftedness as a child, making me twice exceptional. I started this podcast because living with ADHD can be difficult, and I wanted to find a way to reach people and share some information about neurodiversity from someone who is currently dealing with it in their everyday life. Not only am I neurodivergent, but I have a brother who is neurodivergent, meaning I have seen how symptoms can be portrayed differently in different people. In this podcast, I discuss my own experiences, interview others on their experiences, and share research on neurodiversity. In this particular episode, I interviewed a woman named Kate Wedd, who shared some of her experiences with dyslexia and how that led to her choice of becoming a speech-language pathologist. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. So I wanted to start off with, can you please like introduce yourself, including your name, your connection to neurodiversity, and your career? Mm-hmm. So my name is Kate Witt. Um, I'm currently in my second year getting my master's at ASU in speech language pathology. I am a dyslexic individual myself, and that is the specialty I'm going into for my career. So starting in May, I'll be working at Wellington Alexander Center, um, focusing on evaluation and intervention for dyslexic children. That's super cool. So when did you first hear about dyslexia, just like in general? Oh, I remember the exact time that I heard (laughs) about dyslexia for the first time. I was at my house with my mom and she was talking about someone that I was going to meet. And it came up that they were dyslexic. My mom had mentioned that. And I was like, oh, so they read backwards. Like, that's pretty weird. And I just like moved on with my day. I must have been, I don't know, nine or 10. Um, Not understanding that that was going to be a big part of the rest (laughs) of my life or that I was dyslexic. Also, I just thought it was reading and seeing letters backwards and like an inability Mm -hmm. to read. Mm hmm. And so when were you diagnosed with dyslexia? So I was diagnosed at the tail end of my sixth grade year. I um, was around 12. I was actually diagnosed at Wellington Alexander Center. Um, And I had always struggled with reading. I just thought it was harder for me than other people. And it was going to be something that I wasn't very good at. But I managed to work through reading assignments to work through other classes. And I just was not aware that I was working harder than everyone else by a long shot. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where in sixth grade, we were taking vocabulary tests and you had to know how to spell it, the definition and like synonyms and antonyms for the word. And I was failing the test, like just flat out, like below 50%. And my mom was like, you're failing these exams. Are you not studying? Like, what are you not doing? I'm like, no, I'm studying. Like, I'm trying. I promise you I'm trying. And she didn't believe me. And so she actually regrets this, but she yelled at me about it. And I went and I studied and she quizzed me and I got nothing right. Like, just not even a single word. And she's like, okay, you're not studying. Like, you're lying to me. And so I went back and I studied more and I didn't know, but she went into my room and she saw me and she was like, oh gosh, she is studying. 
came back out. She quizzed me again, still did not know any of the words. And that's when my mom kind of saw that there was an issue and mm-hmm. looking further into my AR accelerated reading exams that we had taken. We had a certain number of points we had to get every semester and my scores would be a hundred percent and then 40% and then 70% and then 200%. It was just all over the board. And she went to the school and was like, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And the school told her she was just being a helicopter parent. So that's when she went to the neuropsychologist that um, I saw and then to Wellington to get the official diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then what was your experience like after the diagnosis? Like what type of treatment options were considered? So one of them was doing nothing, which wasn't going to work for me. I really wanted to go to Xavier and um, that required the high school entrance exam. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of came to a point. I was, it was the summer of sixth grade and we needed something that was going to be fast. that was going to be quick. And my neuropsychologist said, you need to go to Wellington Alexander Center. That is the place that Kate needs. Like it, that is it. So we went there and that's kind of all she wrote. We didn't look at any other place. It's an intensive treatment therapy. I was older, so I was 13 at this point. Once we started looking into Wellington, I went for 12 weeks and it's Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. for those whole 12 weeks. So it's a very intensive, intensive program, completely rewiring your brain and how you um, view letters and the sounds that are connected to them. So the phonological processing is kind of the basis of the dyslexia. And then from there, working on reading comprehension and being able to encode, which is spelling and decode, which is reading. Uh-huh. And then you were talked about Xavier, which is high school. So what was your high school experience like? I did not enjoy high school <laughs> at all, if I'm going to be honest. I um, thought I really wanted to go there. I thought that was the place for me. I think because that's all that was told to me and that's what I was told I needed to do to be successful. And I think I had a lot of self-confidence wrapped up in academics because it had been something that was so hard and I felt like I constantly needed to prove myself. So this was just another step of like proving my worth by going there. And I went there. I knew I wasn't going to get any accommodations. I I knew that going in. And even though I had had the treatment, it doesn't like cure dyslexia. Like I'm definitely still a dyslexic person. And I see that play out in a lot of my like daily things and even in school now. I went there and I just couldn't keep up with the work in a like good work-life balance, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I was working around the clock. I missed, I want to say 200 class periods my senior year, partially because like I would skip school or miss the beginning periods to make up work that I had not finished the night before. So I, I liked playing badminton when I was in high school. I did that for a season and then junior year came and I could, I'm like, I can't do this because I can't keep up with the workload. And I was hard to find teachers that understood what dyslexia was and were willing to 
kind of give me accommodations like in a back alley type deal of like we the school isn't going to know about it but like come in and you can take this test later or I'll give you the recording of the lecture so I don't have to be taking notes by hand but then I also had instances where that was not an option for me I um, took Latin because I thought that was going to be an easier foreign language and the teacher that I had the first teacher I had was great she left because of, I don't know, she ended up leaving. Another teacher came in to fill the spot for the rest of the semester. And I went in, I was 14. I remember going in, I asked him, I said, hey, I'm dyslexic. This is what it means. This is what it looks like. Foreign language is not my strong suit. Like I can barely read English. So I'm not mm-hmm. going to be like proficiently reading Latin. And I remember him looking at me in the eyes and being like, well, dyslexia is not real. So that's not a problem. And I was 14 and he was, he was an older retired lawyer. He, I think he was in his sixties. I just, I was trying to be a good self-advocate and it felt really hard. And that was very disheartening of just this older adult who's been in the academic world and who is my teacher and supposed to be guiding me through this class is just telling me the way I am, like, doesn't exist. That's not real. I don't I, I don't know if he was trying to be like, maybe you're just bad at reading. You don't read enough. I don't know. I ran out of that room. I was like, okay, thank you. Bye. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't know what to say. I was, I was very taken aback by that experience. And like on and off through all of senior year was just hit or miss with teachers. And so I, I should have gone somewhere else for high school I would have had accommodations, which would have been nice. I went to college and had accommodations and it was, I mean, fabulous. It was like night and day. So Mm -hmm. high school was not my favorite, but I learned a lot about myself and it gave me a lot of um, tenacity, I guess I should say, and just the ability to cope with different things and figure out ways that work for me in an environment that's not always welcoming to me. Mm Mm-hmm. What type of accommodations do you think would have been helpful for you in high school? I think um, testing alone in a room. I got extra time on finals, but it was in a large room with everyone else who was also getting accommodations. And the reason I say that is because I had that at Alabama. It was a whole testing center and there were individual kind of cubes and it was completely shut off from the Mm -hmm. other ones. And you were alone and I... I just get so much anxiety about testing and I will get into a situation where I'm reading a question and the answers and I have to read it like four or five times because I'm just not comprehending because I'm so anxious. And then if I'm not concentrating and paying attention, my comprehension isn't as good. So it's both of those kind of battling. I think the testing alone would have been a big thing for me because I hated being like, one of the last people to turn a test in. Uh-huh. I hated watching yeah. other people like flip to the next page before me. And I would notice that I'm like, oh my God, I'm running behind. Like I'm going to run out of time in this class. These people know these answers or can read it faster. Do they think that I'm stupid because I'm not reading as fast and I'm not on the next page. And just hearing people like tapping their pencils or moving, it's very distracting to me. So the biggest thing for me probably would have been that individualized testing environment. 
And I think being able to have notes ahead of time. I had teachers that required handwritten notes to be a certain length, which I don't understand how that um, prepared me because your notes should be concise. (laughs) And um, that was a struggle for me because sometimes the copying from the board down onto the paper, or if it's a teacher talking and I'm trying to write it, the spelling, if I don't have time to think about a word that I'm not, that I'm not spelling every day, it's hard for me. And I'll just be like, uh, I don't know what letter I start with. I don't know where I've got, like, I need a second, but that's obviously I don't have a second to do that when they're talking mm-hmm. and lecturing. So a recording of the lecture would have been great. And honestly, I feel like I probably could have used other combinations, but I had no information as to what was even out there. I thought that was just kind of it. And that's why I took in college and colleges set up differently with how your day-to-day in the classes work. So I didn't need as much of the accommodations that were available. But I think in high school, even in middle school, if I had been diagnosed earlier, I would have taken other accommodations that I maybe I don't even know about now or I don't consider that I would need because I didn't have it. So I'm not sure what mm-hmm. my life would have looked like with those accommodations. Yeah. I just know because at my school, we have like 504s and IEPs because I'm at a public high school and I've never really gotten one for my ADHD because I haven't found it necessary, I guess. <laughs> but like, I just am interested in which accommodations you think would be like helpful, I guess, because there's a lot of accommodations out there and I'm not sure which ones are actually helpful versus which ones are just things they're trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely have now being on the other end working with in speech language pathology and I'm out of school right now. I work a lot with IEPs. It's really interesting because the accommodations can almost be anything you can think of to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, Like preferential seating was not one that I thought of for me, but then as I think about it more now that I'm working in this field, I'm like, maybe I would have like done better with that, like not looking at everyone around me, if I'm sitting at the front, a little bit more focused, Mm -hmm. able to ask a teacher a question easier, um, stuff like that, where I just hadn't thought about it prior. And now I think about it, I'm like, oh, I I think I might've used those. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different things out there. It's pretty interesting and it's pretty cool. The amount of accommodations you can get. Yeah. And then Kind of on that same note, I wanted to talk about how dyslexia has impacted your choice of career and if you think it's helped you in any way in your career that you're heading towards. Um, It has helped me tremendously. I would not be in this career if I was not dyslexic and if I, and truly if I didn't go to Wellington, I don't think I would have considered this career. I wanted to be a marine biologist for mm-hmm. the longest time. And um, I was, I've always been drawn to science. Science has always been something that I'm really, really good at because the words are usually attached to visual meaning, whether that be in graphs and it's explaining it and I have a visual or pictures, things like that. I was always really, really good at the science part of it. But going to Wellington, I just realized how much it helped me. I don't know if when I was there that I was thinking about it or really if when I was after and I realized I could read and how much it changed my life. Mm -hmm. 
I wanted to start to do that. And so I ended up stumbling into a little bit being able to testify for Senate bills for the state, um, being on a board for accommodations for private schools within the Diocese of Phoenix, having conversations with different people, doing public speaking events on dyslexia. And as that happened more and more in high school, I realized, oh, this is it's what I'm passionate about. It's what I love talking about. Anyone that's a friend of mine or not even a friend, like honestly, a stranger, I will tell anyone that I'm dyslexic and I will tell them my story as long as they want to hear it and go into as many details about it. Um, so it just, it, it almost happened naturally because I felt like I had to advocate for myself so much in high school and I started advocating for others too. And so it just naturally led me to this field. And then I figured out, oh, that's a speech language pathologist. That's what I want to do. And that's all she wrote. That's the only career I've, you know, pursued at this point. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. And then for dyslexia, which part do you feel like needs to be addressed more? Like, is there a particular symptom or sign or struggle that comes with it that you feel like people should address more? I think that's a great question. I have a lot of feelings about um, where our schools stand with dyslexia. It sometimes gets thrown onto the back burner um, because it's not as prominent as some other disabilities that are addressed in the school. But for me, what I try to explain to everyone is a fifth of the classroom most likely is dyslexic. And so that's a lot of students to not have a good, solid background understanding of what dyslexia is. Because even now in my field, I am explaining to people that I am in grad school with or who are my supervisors, like what dyslexia really is. It's not, yes, letter reversals can be a part of it. And we do see that, but that's not all that it is. And that's usually not what it's presenting as. There's a lot of things that have to do with um, your handwriting. Left and right is a big thing. Um, even though kids struggle with that anyway, mm-hmm. just these things you start to notice. And my my mom said, oh, I noticed those things, but she didn't know what that was. I couldn't tie my shoes. I still tie with bunny ears. I never figured out the other way. I don't, I don't know. I'm too old at this point. Um, and rhyming is another one. I still can't really hear a rhyme. Like I understand things rhyme but I can't hear that it doesn't make it doesn't compute in my brain um but in the school the biggest thing is sound and letter awareness the dyslexia is all like you're it's focusing on the that phonological awareness which then builds up to reading you need these bottom pieces to get to reading so while there's issues of reading that's not really where it's stemming from it's stemming from the phonological awareness issues. And so I think, and there are people who are trying to make this happen, that all kindergartners should be screened for their phonological awareness. It can take under 10 minutes to do that for each kid. It probably only takes about five. And that gives you a pretty good indicator of, are we looking at an issue or are we good to go? And having that, the earlier, the better. 
the earlier you are able to diagnose or to realize that there's dyslexia present, the better it is. You're able to remediate how you're going to teach the child to read, or they can go see a specialist like Wellington Alexander. And the time you're doing that is a lot smaller than if you were um, an older student like I was. So it's really addressing those at a younger age and being able to understand that it's the phonological awareness, it's the understanding of sounds, and that can play out in a lot of different ways. And there's not just one case of dyslexia, which is also kind of the hard part is no dyslexic person is alike. And that's the same with a lot of disabilities and disorders. Um, but I think the biggest thing is I would like to see a lot more education for teachers, SLPs, for people working in the schools in general. I, um, the amount of like education on dyslexia, even in my program is minimal. I think we've mentioned it like in one class and that's just not enough when you're going to be working in a school and that many kids in that school are dyslexic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. I feel like educating the educators is kind of really important for all of this stuff because it's just something I've noticed that a lot of like teachers even counselors and stuff don't really know exactly what some of these are and I feel like if we could help with that then it'd be easier to locate disabilities in the classroom Mm -hmm. if they knew what was going on a hundred percent and just being able to have an understanding of like oh I know this is what dyslexia is it's so much easier to throw in accommodations into a classroom when you understand why you're accommodating or what the root of the issue is. As an educator, you might have your own ideas on how to modify what you're teaching or the environment of the classroom. It's so important to educate teachers and people working in the schools. I have friends that are teachers and they never had a course on disabilities but we have disabilities and neurodivergent individuals in every classroom. And so to miss that whole piece of the education, it's not gonna help down the line when you need to work and be integrated into an IEP team or being able to modify and know your student well enough to optimize their learning. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what can friends and family members do to provide support for someone with dyslexia? Hmm. I think I've had, I've had a lot of great support in my life with my family and with my friends. I think the biggest thing is um, just understanding. And that goes with the education. Like if there was mainstream education of what, dyslexia is I think there would have been a little bit more I don't want to say understanding because my parents didn't know you know that I was dyslexic and what that was but I think maybe they would have been able to see oh that's why she's struggling doing this I'm not going to get mad about that or I'm not going to be like stressed about this I think it's just realizing like we communicate and we learn differently I, I, the dyslexia for me at this point, it isn't even so much my reading. It's more how I function as a person because my brain is just wired differently. Sometimes I say things 
And the word that comes out of my mouth is not the word that I meant, but it's the word that I also heard myself say. I thought I said it right and I didn't. And so there can be miscommunication. I've experienced a lot of that working. um, I was president of my sorority, so I had to do a lot of different meetings and I would experience that in kind of that work setting. And then at home too, with my family, I mean, still I'll say stuff and they're like, what? And I'm like, no, I said this. And they're like, no, you said that. I'm like, oh, I did. Didn't even know that. (laughs) So just understanding the individual's own quirks and how their dyslexia affects them most is probably the best way that you can support someone. Well, thank you so much. Do you have any final thoughts to give to the listeners or... Just keep doing you. There really is so much individuality and um, I don't know, just learn the way that you learn best and find what you're passionate about. That's, that's my advice. That's what I've done. (laughs) That's great advice. Yeah. (laughs) But thank Thank you so much for having me on. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from Kate. And if you would like to share your story or thoughts with me, Feel free to reach out through email to twiceexceptionalpodcast at gmail.com or message me on Instagram or TikTok at twice underscore exceptional podcast. Consider following the podcast on social media or share it with others to keep spreading the word about the complexities of neurodiversity. One more thing. I was recently on a series from Beacon College called A World of Difference, Embracing Neurodiversity. I discussed being a twice exceptional individual and I had a great time doing it. Feel free to check it out on YouTube.